Both the books of Daniel and Revelation discuss lengthy time prophecies that are key to our understanding of the end times. But how we interpret these time prophecies is very important because they can have vastly different results with vastly different consequences. Today we will see what both history and scripture have to tell us about John and Daniel's warnings for future generations. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show, the Dance of Life podcast. My name is Tudor Alexander and I'm your host as usual. Thanks so much for joining me today. Today we are pretty much wrapping up our series. We have one more episode to go and that will be next week, but we are kind of doing a a big roundabout, a little bit of a U-turn back to a previous topic that we talked about and opened up, which is time prophecies. Now we didn't get into some of the other time prophecies, but Either way, the point is this. If you are just joining, make sure you go watch some previous episodes, especially uh, Daniel's 70 Weeks episode, the Beasts of Revelation and Daniel, so that you have an idea of what's going on, the Abomination of Desolation, Mystery Babylon. We're really, uh, I'm going to run on the assumption that you have seen at least some of those because there's just no time to review all that. So this is kind of a complimentary episode to some of those previous ones. So if you've seen that, then this will make sense to you. If you have seen none of those, if you don't know anything about those topics, then I highly recommend that you go back and watch those videos first or listen to the episodes wherever you happen to listen to it. Because today is, again, it's complimentary, so we're going to be assuming a lot of that stuff. Otherwise, it won't make any sense to you. But basically, the point is that Daniel and John both have these time prophecies. And so, If you know what that is, that's in Revelation, that's the 1260-day prophecy. And then in Daniel, that's also mirrored. And I should say, actually, it's the other way around. Daniel came first, and Revelation mirrors that. And But the important thing is that Daniel also has other time prophecies, like 1290 days, 1335 days, 2300 days. So all these things kind of can become confusing very quickly if we don't understand some basic things. So my goal with this episode is to circle back, right, to that previous topic where we talked about the time period of 1260 days and to kind of give it a little bit more flesh as we look at uh, the 1335-day period, the 1290 period, and the 2300-day period in a little more detail to understand what exactly do these periods mean, how do they all fit together, so that it's not confusing. Because it, it really isn't. Once you realize how they all work together, it really is not that confusing at all. And again, if you uh, are relatively new to this, then we also have a study guide for this series. It's an end times prophecy timeline. It's basically a graphical sheet that graphs all of the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation on one timeline. So go check it out. It took me a little bit of work to do, but it definitely helped me out because I'm a visual person. So if you are also a visual person, if you like those kinds of things, then I highly recommend it. It's a free resource. You just click on the link in the description for this episode, wherever you happen to be listening or watching to uh, watching it, and you'll be able to access it for free. You can share it with others. But basically, it's a graphical tool so that you can see how all these things fit together because they really do. They fit quite nicely and I know that when you're just reading them in the Bible, it uh, at first it, it doesn't it doesn't click right away. It certainly didn't click for me until I really studied these things and also put them on paper. So 
again, if you are new to this, if you're just clicking on this, you want to learn about the time prophecies, you want to get, learn more about the book of Revelation and Daniel, then this is kind of the end of the series. So I really recommend that you go back, you check out some of those previous episodes. You know, this has been a sequential series, the first 10 episodes really focused on the millennial kingdom because that's a big topic in end times discussions. And once you understand the nature of that, it clears up a lot of misconceptions. And then probably the the episodes since then, so from about, I think, 11 to wherever we are now, we've looked at who the Antichrist power is, right? Who's the Antichrist power on the earth? Because this is the important thing, understanding what should we actually be watching? Should we be watching Israel? Should we be watching what happens in the Middle East? Should we be watching all these TikTok prophets and what they think is Bible prophecy unfolding? Or should we be paying attention to something else? And so that's something that we explored quite in depth, quite in detail. Again, Mystery Babylon. Uh, we looked at the second beast. We looked at the beasts of Daniel. We looked at you know, the image of the beast, the counterfeit spirit. All these are episodes that I highly recommend. They're great episodes where you'll really understand the spiritual things that are going on behind the background because we are moving in a direction that's going to deceive a lot of people because, and again, this is the reason why I started this series in the first place, because a lot of people are deceived by futurism, by dispensationalism specifically which is the idea of reading the Bible in a particular way. And you'll see, again, with these time prophecies, if if you know anything about dispensationalism or you believe some of those things, you'll see how these time prophecies refute dispensationalism. Because dispensationalism sees the days listed in Revelation and Daniel, specifically the 1260 days, it sees that as a literal day, like 1260 days, meaning three and a half years. But if it can be proven that these are actual years, 1260 years, now we look at history completely differently and we find out who the real Antichrist power is, who has fulfilled these prophecies, most of them at least, because Mystery Babylon hasn't come up yet. But she's on her way for sure. So time prophecies exist both in Daniel and Revelation, and we concluded that they're meant to be interpreted historically. And again, the reason why is because of the day-to-year principle. And again, I'm I'm paraphrasing previous episodes, so if you disagree with that or you feel you don't know what that is, then go check out Daniel's 70 Weeks episode. It's a longer episode, so watch it in parts if you have to take notes. But we prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the day-to-year principle in prophecy, when you're interpreting timeline, time stamps or time prophecies, is consistent. Every single time we've looked at all kinds of prophecies in this series. We looked recently at the uh, the seals, or the trumpets even, the five, the, the five months where the scorpions were stinging people related to exactly 150 years, because 30 times 5 is 150 days, 150 years, where the Ottoman Empire was sieging Byzantine Rome, the Eastern Roman Empire, and then they gave up after 150 years and then they became a vassal state. So we looked at all these things throughout time. We looked at the seven churches where Christ tells them to endure for 10 days because they're going to be put in prison. And that related to the 10 years of Diocletian persecution in the second and third centuries, which was like the worst period of time of Christian persecution. So Christ warned people about that and gave them the exact time that it would last. 
We looked at so many things, but the, the Daniel 70 Weeks episode establishes this principle. Why do we use day-to-year principle when it comes to Bible prophecy and numbers? Now, some Bible prophecies are just matter of fact. When, for example, God tells Abraham that he's going to be a sojourner for 400 years, his family's going to be, his descendants are going to be sojourning for 400 years in Egypt. That's a literal prophecy. That's not, we don't have to figure out, okay, do years mean, you know, something else? That's just a matter-of-fact prophecy. But when we're talking about visions and they're giving increments of days or months, you know, these types of things where you have 1,260 days, these are actually to be understood prophetically as years. And we established that beyond a shadow of a doubt, and we also proved it with history. This entire series, the last 15 episodes, where we looked at all of these different prophecies, we documented it very thoroughly so you can see for yourself that this is the way to interpret Bible events. Because remember, the devil's job is to put your attention either to the right or to the left. That's his goal. He doesn't want you on the narrow road with Christ. He doesn't want you on the narrow road of truth. He wants you on the right, meaning everything's in the future. We don't have to worry about it. We're going to get raptured. Or on the left, everything's in the past. They just concern the Jews. Um, You know, we don't need to worry about that stuff. Preterism or futurism? That's an extreme. What is the non-extreme? What's the balanced way to look at it? The balanced way is history. Historicism, which is what the reformers and the church looked at even early we looked at even early fathers like Irenaeus was worse even though they were very early in church history so they didn't have the perspective of history they suspected that Rome was the fourth beast of Daniel we looked at that a quote from Irenaeus that he believed that Rome but he he was being cautious remember he was being cautious because Rome was still a power around that time just like with Peter and how he called Rome Babylon in one of his letters, out of caution. But the word that he used also meant something about their beliefs, that, that Rome was still representing this Babylonian system. Remember the vision of Daniel and how Daniel saw this statue that was basically degrading over time, but it was one statue, meaning it's one kingdom, one kingdom of darkness, one system that just goes through you know, these different phases, these metamorphs through different iterations. Of course, the final iteration is Mystery Babylon, which we looked at in detail and who that is. But the point is that even as early as the apostles, where they didn't have necessarily the the wealth of knowledge that we have in the sense of history, right? We're very wealthy church. We're the seventh church of Revelation, and Christ calls us very wealthy, which is true. We're, we're wealthy in a superficial sense. You know, he counsels us to have true wealth, true gold, being tried by persecution and suffering and all the things that the previous churches had. But we are wealthy in knowledge. I mean, you can go on the internet and learn about the end times you know, without having to, you know, go to any classroom or anything like that. You can learn a lot these days. And, and so we have this wealth of information that we can look back on history and understand how are these things falling in place. But even without that wealth, Peter recognized that Rome, during his time, was Babylon, meaning this Babylonian system. Obviously, Babylon had been gone for many centuries at that time. 
So why did he call Rome Babylon? Because spiritually, that system is around until the very end. So the point is that historicism is the way to interpret Bible events because prophecy was created for everybody in every generation to benefit from, not just people in the very past and not just people only in the future. God would not do such a thing. So if you believe that God would give prophecy to every generation so they would know where they would be in the sequence of events, which is a very rational conclusion, never mind all the things we talked about with the day-year principle and how that proves itself every single time, then the conclusion is obvious that the time prophecies in Daniel and Revelation are meant to be interpreted historically. And the question is, what does that mean if they're interpreted historically versus literally? There's vastly different consequences. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. But the the time prophecies are throughout both books. And specifically, the one that is the, the highlighted one, which you talked about a little bit, is the 1260-day prophecy. So let's look at where that occurs. That occurs in several places, both in Revelation and Daniel. So it must be something they're both talking about the same thing. That's that's the underlying assumption, which is a reasonable assumption. But in Daniel 7, verse 25, it says the following, He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Now, th- this is language describing like a year, two years, and half a year, 360, 360 days. It's a loony solar year. So the total is 1260 uh, days prophetically. You also, and so this is talking about what? It's talking about the little horn that's coming out of the uh, fourth beast, and we talked about that. So the little horn is the Antichrist power that's going to rule the earth for 1260 years. In Daniel 12, verse 7, it says, And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that, would, that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And then when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So this is when Daniel asks again about what's what's going on with these visions. What you know, he's seeing all these things, and he, he obviously Daniel is he's a second temple Jew, right? He's in that era where Jesus hadn't even come to the earth yet. He he got a prophecy about the Messiah, which was five hundred years later. He you know, he got a prophecy of even beyond that with, with the little horn power, which we've identified as the papacy, the Catholic system, the institution that put itself between man and God. How can a second temple Jew around 500 BC even conceive of what these things would mean? Do you see what I'm saying? So ultimately, he didn't understand several of these things, and he asked for clarity several times. And this is one of those situations. But these both are relating to the same thing. Now, if we look in Revelation, it it's the same thing. We looked at the two witnesses. We looked at the, the woman running away from the dragon. And we're going to see all that with the same time period. So Revelation 11, verse 2 through 3. This is the two witnesses. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations. And they will trample the holy city for 42 months, which is, again, 1260 days. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. We looked at the two witnesses. We have a whole episode on this. Dispensationalism interprets this literally, and because they interpret it literally, they have to come up with something physical, like two literal people 
in literal Jerusalem for three and a half uh, years, you know, and they're prophesying and then they die for three literal days and so on. So ultimately it's, you have to have some physical explanation if it's three and a half years. But what if it's 1260 years? Do you see the problem? There's no way you can say, oh, well, it's two people still. It's not. It must be representative of something. And if that's the case, what is it representing? Because it's the same time period that we see this little horn power ruling for, right? And we again, we looked at all this stuff, so I'm trying not to do a lot of review because it's very in-depth. But this is talking about the two witnesses. So that's going on during this time. And we're going to put it all together pretty soon. Revelation 12, 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. So again, there's that 1260 day time. This time it's associated with the woman. And then later in Revelation 14, or 12 verse uh, 14, we hear again about the, the woman. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. So same language as Daniel, again, is talking about the woman. And the woman represents who? It represents the church, the body of believers. Which, again, gosh, you know, I'm so tempted to go down this, but we're, we're not going to go too much down it. Dispensationalism easily refuted with Revelation 12. The woman who is clothed the sun, the stars above her head is a crown, and the moon under her feet, that is not Virgin Mary, first off. It is the body of believers, Israel, who gives birth to the Messiah. But now, let's, let's do the math here very simply. The woman who gives birth to the Messiah is obviously Israel. Israel is always con uh, compared to the virgin in the Old Testament. Also, the prostitute when she was apostate. But the woman has always been an image of the body of believers because Christ has a bride. The church is the bride. Do you see where I'm going with this? The woman before the Messiah, what happens after the birth of the Messiah? She runs away from the dragon. She's being persecuted. Wait a minute. Very important. The woman is the same before and after. Do you see the very critical understanding here? The woman who gave birth to the Messiah, the body of believers, Israel, is the same woman running away from the dragon for 1260 years. Is that talking about the Jews? No, it's talking about the Christians, the Israel of God, the church, the body of believers. It's the same body, just more people. It's been fulfilled. It's been expanded. So this is a very important understanding. But if you believe the Jews have their own special thing, then what do you make of that? Does Christ have two brides? Does he have a bride and a friend? Like, what, what do we make of the Jews in that case? And the, the answer is that we, we don't make anything. The Jews are invited into the gospel. They've been invited to the gospel, just like everybody else, since the very beginning. They had their time, and that time was up. When Stephen was stoned, we talked about this in Daniel 70 Weeks, when Stephen was stoned, the prophecy of the 490 years that Daniel was given, 400, uh, sorry, 70 weeks, which is 70 times 7, 490 days, which is actually 490 years. And we saw exact historical timestamps proven with history that, it, that this prophecy of 490 days is actually 490 years. That's why that episode is titled The Key to the End Times, because... That 490-day prophecy of the 70 weeks of the Messiah is tied to 
is part of the the chapter before in Daniel 8, which is the 2300-day prophecy. Uh-oh, do you see a huge asterisk here, a huge like exclamation point? If Daniel 70 weeks is part of the 2300-day prophecy, and Daniel 70 weeks is fulfilled historically, meaning day-to-year conversion, it's supposed to be understood as years. That's the point. Then the 2300-day prophecy, the bigger umbrella, is also 2300 years. Because the 2300-day prophecy contains all the time prophecies we're talking about today. 1260, 1335. Don't worry about these numbers. We'll, we'll, we'll get clarity on them. But the point is, it proves that the 1260-day period in Daniel is not literal days. Rather, it's years because it's contained within a prophecy that discusses years, not days. That's why Daniel 70 weeks is the key to the end times. <clears throat> but dispensationalists actually believe in Daniel 70 weeks as being fulfilled historically, which is ironic. Of course, they put the final week towards the very end, and that makes zero sense because there's no prophecy in the Bible that has a gap between part of the prophecy and then another final part, and that gap is longer than the entire prophecy itself. There's no prophecy in, in the Bible that does that because that's a false understanding. It's a false teaching. And yet, despite them seeing it historically, they don't realize that that prophecy is connected to the 2300-day prophecy, which also encompasses all these other smaller time prophecies. Of course, they're not small in the grand scheme of things. They're many, many centuries, but smaller than the 2300-day prophecy. They're all connected. And again, you you can see all this visually laid out on the end times prophetic timeline. But so far, what do we have? We have... The Revelation 12 we talked about, we have one more in Revelation, that's Revelation 13, and that's verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Again, you have this time period. So as usual, like we talked about with the seven churches, and the seven seals, and the seven trumpets, what do we see with those previous episodes? Like a typewriter, we saw first layer, boom, boom, boom. Click and then go back to the beginning, then second layer, the seals, then go back to the beginning, then the trumpets. This is a common theme to recapitulate and go back and give more detail. This is throughout the Bible. So recapitulation is is a common literary device. This is the same thing happening throughout both of these books. Daniel was many centuries before all these things happened, even before Rome. He didn't, Rome wasn't around during his time. Babylon was during his time. So imagine that. He still he didn't still didn't see Persia, he still didn't see you know Greece, he didn't see you know obviously Rome. So for him those things were still future. So the picture he gives is of kind of a more broader generic view of these beast systems, these kingdoms and then this little horn power emerging out of the fourth kingdom which is Rome. What emerged out of Rome? Well, it was the papacy. It was Roman Catholicism. And again, we talked about all this, so if this is news to you, then go check that out because it's it's very clear who the Antichrist power is, especially if you understand that these are hist- historically fulfilled. So, But then by the time we get to John, 
we get even more detail with this time period. What's going on during this 1260-year time period? Well, he confirms Daniel's little horn with his own vision of the first beast. The first beast, remember, looks like what? It looks like a conglomerate of all of Daniel's beasts. Of all the things that John could have seen, how come that he saw beasts exactly like Daniel? Except in this case, it was a conglomerate. Do you see the point here? With with the feet like a bear and leopard and, you know, had all these different characteristics of all the beasts of Daniel. Well, the papacy has those characteristics. It's a Roman, Greco-Roman power. This is a continuation. Look at the obelisk in the Vatican Square. Look at the, the Roman architecture. It's a Roman, Babylonian, Greco, pagan system. It's the final iteration of this system, this Babylonian system, Pontifex Maximus. I mean, gosh, again, we can get into this, and I'm going to resist getting into it, but go watch those previous episodes if this is news to you. We're under a Roman power, and we will be until the very end. It's a Babylonian system. But the point is that John confirms that. He confirms it by giving it even more character of what's going to happen to this system. It's going to receive a deadly wound, or it seems like it will, then it's going to come back to power. Then he goes back again, again, typewriter. He goes back and says, okay, then there's going to be this second beast that comes up. It's going to help people worship this, this little horn power, this first beast. What's also happening during the time that the little horn powers are, well, the, the believers are going to be persecuted. They're going to be running away, but they'll be taken care of. The word of God, which is the two witnesses, will be prophesying in sackcloth, being meaning it'll be made humble. Eventually it's going to be killed. We saw that in, Re- in the French Revolution, where atheism basically conquered for three days, and or sorry, three years. Bibles were burned in the public square. But then what happened? The word of God came back to life. And you had things like the Great Awakening, revivals, all these things happened. So all these things are fulfilled in history. It's really quite fascinating. But 1260 years is the main time prophecy between the two books. Now, Daniel has some other time prophecies that can seem a little confusing as to how do they fit in the grand scheme of things. So we're going to look at these really briefly. But Daniel 12 is uh, verse 11 through 12. It says, And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there should be 1290 days. So now, let me just... Before I continue here to verse 12, I'll just continue to verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1335 days. So these two time periods are mentioned once in the book of Daniel. It's in the last chapter. Now in the KJV, which we looked at in, again, another episode to check out, which is the episode on the daily, it says the following, verse 11, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is added, it doesn't belong in the original text, it's inferred, from the time that the daily shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. So the daily, why is this insignificant? Because I was reading the ESV first, which ESV is not the best for some of these prophetic texts, especially um, Daniel. It's, it's, I do not recommend the ESV. ESV is a good translation. So I'm not one of those people that's like KJV only, but ESV, when it comes to especially the book of Daniel, like the prophecies, it's written kind of poorly. It really is. And I think that part of the reason for that is that there's bias in the people who translate it. 
And I mean eschatological bias, meaning they're probably dispensationalists or futurists of some kind. And so it's written in a way that's, again, it's conducive, it's conducive to this. They're not trying to deceive people. I think they generally believe that, okay, this is the right word that should be here. But it's conducive to a false eschatology. Because this doesn't say from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away. That's not what's going on here. It says from the time that the daily is taken away. So what is the daily? What does that even mean? Well, we looked at that because the word there is, it means continual, from the continual being taken away. What does that mean? Well, there's a whole study on that. And long story short, it's not talking necessarily about physical sacrifices happening in a temple. It is rather talking about something those sacrifices represent. That's one theory, meaning what does it mean that this power is taking away the sacrifice, the daily sacrifice? What's happening there? What does that really mean? Is it talking about the Jewish temple or is it something more spiritual? Which as usual, the devil's trying to put your eyes on the physical. Oh, it's the Jewish temple, so it's somebody who's going to walk into the temple and take away the sacrifices. No, it's not. That's false understanding. That's not what this is talking about. Another possibility is the continuation of these beast systems. The little horn power was different from the rest. And he uprooted three kings and he established himself and he was different because he was a religio-political power. Not only that, but he didn't have his own armies. The Pope doesn't have a standing army, but he controls everybody else by proxy. Very different power. And so ultimately, this power disrupted the continual historical progression Right? You had Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, then Rome. All these empires, even though they displaced each other, they kind of, you know, they were the same thing, right? Just different packaging. But the Pope was very different. The Pope was not only a religio-political power, he was a counterfeit of Christianity, counterfeit of the truth. It's a very different type of situation. And so there's different theories on this daily being taken away. But the point is this. We looked at that. Go check it out. If if you don't understand this uh, and you want some more detail, go check out that episode. The Daily, it's, it's a great episode. We look at some in-depth things about it. But the point is that we have another two time markers that are connected to the same thing about this, this little horn power coming in, you know, setting up the abomination of desolation. We looked at the, what that was. And basically now we have two different time periods. We have the 1290 days and the 1335 days. So it's like, how do we make sense of it given the fact that the 1260 days is something that we saw historically. So put that on the back burner. We're going to come back to it. You have then also the 2300-day prophecy, which is in Daniel 8, verse 14. This is after the vision of the ram and the goat. And again, this is we'll look at this in a little more detail in a second, but verse 14, and he said to me, for 2300 evenings and mornings, the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. And again, what is he, what does this answer come from? And Daniel, the verse beforehand says, Then I heard a holy one speaking, another one holy one said to an, the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering? Again, this in, in um, KJV, it's the daily. So I'm just going to read it as the daily vision concerning the daily, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me for 2300 evenings and mornings. So this vision, that so what is the context here? Let, let's talk about context just really briefly. 
This is Daniel's vision of the ram and the goat, which if you remember when we talked about the beasts of Daniel and Revelation, we covered it in that episode. Daniel sees kind of the same thing again with, with the, the little horn power trampling over the saints. Again, it's, it's a broad view of history. He sees Greece. He sees Persia. And then after Greece, we kind of skip over Rome. You have to put these prophecies. That's why I did this end times timeline, because it's a visual way to see how they all fit together. Because some of them, not there's no single prophecy in Revelation and Daniel that is designed to stand on its own. This is, again, God is relational. Everything that God does is very relational. You have to relate things to one another. He's a relational being. Even within himself, he has relationships, the Trinity. And so everything God does is relational. I think also that's by design so that we can get into studying the word and comparing things and being involved in it. Not just like, okay, here's one text that it's going to give you everything you need to know. And, you know, that's okay. Could you even fit that into one text? The point is that all these things are different puzzle pieces. The vision of the ram and the goat confirms the same order of empires we saw in the statue vision in, in Daniel 2 and in the beast visions earlier before that in Daniel 7. So you now have a confirmation of that order by seeing Persia and then Greece coming to take out Persia. But we skip over Rome and we go straight to the little horn power that emerges out of this system. And that little horn power is exactly like the other times when the little horn power is mentioned. It's the same power. It's not a different power. So this is the important thing to remember. And so he's seeing all these things, again, from a very broad view, all these different empires, the little horn power. It's, it's a very broad view of history. It's like, what's, what's the time period here? What's going on? Right? And we hear that it's for 2,300 evenings and mornings, meaning 2,300 days. So Daniel's obviously confused, like anybody would be, and he feels that way. If you look at the end of the chapter, verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 27, he says, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. So you have the testimony of Daniel himself that he even fell sick because he was probably worrying. He, he was just so overwhelmed with the information. Like has, he knows it's important, it's from God, but at the same time he doesn't understand any of it because it's so much out of his experience and far in the future. So we're going to get back to why this is important. But again, how do we know that these two books are related and how these two time periods are talking about the same thing? This is so critical, guys. Because again, everything is linked to everything else. You have to start the chain at Daniel's 70 weeks. And we'll get back to this verse I just read and why that's the case. But if you understand that these books are linked, then interpreting Daniel correctly leads you to interpret Revelation correctly. Again, look at the, the 70 weeks episode and how the time prophecies are all related and why. That's probably the foundational episode for all of this. But the, both books have a lot of similarities. Daniel is about the end, right? We know that. Revelation is about the end. Both books have 1260 uh, days mentioned, right? So they're talking about the same thing. John makes a big deal to point that time period out. There's a lot of similarities. Both mention Michael standing up for his people. 
at the end of days. Both talk about beasts as kingdoms. Again, we looked at that. Beasts are not people. They're political powers. Both talk about periods of persecution for the saints, where you have this power that is trotting all over the saints, persecuting them, blaspheming God. It's, it's identical language, practically. Both talk about an antichrist power that's going to rule for 1260 days, right? The little horn and the first beast, they're, they're identical powers. It's the same power. So there's a lot of similarities between these two books, meaning something very important. A lot of people today read Revelation just by reading Revelation. Oh, and it must mean this without any context. How do you know what the context of Revelation is? John was a faithful Jew. He knew his scriptures. He knew the prophecies of Ezekiel. He knew the prophecies of Daniel. He knew the prophecies of of everybody. So when he received his vision, of course, God also aligns with his own word. So he gave things that were consistent. He gave things to John that were consistent also that he gave with Daniel. But in this case, it was more color. So John got to color in some things that, that obviously Daniel couldn't have. Daniel was the structure, the foundation. But it was consistent. Obviously. And so if we don't interpret Revelation in context of the book of Daniel, we are not interpreting correctly. This is the thing to get out of this episode, and probably the most important thing, is that you have to understand Daniel correctly, and I mean correctly in the sense of the time prophecies, if you want to understand Revelation. This is, I think, the thing to take from this episode. But there's other reasons within Daniel that are pointing to this truth that all these time prophecies that we mentioned, primarily the 1260 days, but also that other mentioning of the 1290 and the 1335, how all of these fit within the 2300 days. Why do we say that? Well, in in chapter 12, verse 11, it discusses the daily and the abomination, as we just saw. And from the time that the daily is taken away, the abomination that makes desolate set up, there shall be 1290 days. So obviously this timestamp is connected to the abomination that makes desolation and the daily. And we looked at that, how they're all connected. So it's all connected to who? The Antichrist power, meaning the 1260 days and 1290 days must overlap somehow. And we'll look at how that works because they're both pointing to the same thing that's happening. Now we also know that in uh, in Daniel 8, Verse 13, it's the same thing when we just talked about the 2300 evenings and mornings. Uh, then I heard a holy one speaking, another one, another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the daily, the transgression that makes desolate? So, what is making, what is making the sanctuary desolate? What is taking away the daily? And the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. So, all these things again are relating to what? This history of the people being persecuted by the Antichrist power, it's the same time markers, the abomination of desolation, the daily, the the people being trampled underfoot. Do you see how it's all intersecting and talking about the same thing? Look in Daniel 11, verse 31. Forces from him, this is the little horn, shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the daily. Again, in ESV it says regular burnt offering, but that's... That's a mistranslation, or I should say it's a deceptive translation. And again, not that people are deceiving intentionally. They're just thinking that's probably the best based on what they know. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. This is in 
chapter 11 of Daniel. And again, Daniel verse later in um, uh, Daniel 12, we compare it to the same thing. So 11, we just read about the forces that it will appear and profane the temple, and they'll put up the abomination, they'll take away the daily. Okay, this is chapter 11 to chapter 12, verse 8 through 12. And I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Again, he's he's wanting clarity because he's not sure what is is going on with with this time, times, and time and a, uh, time and a half, half a time, time period. Verse nine, he said, "Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined." This is similar language to Revelation, if you recall from the uh, seals, the fifth seal, I believe. But the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination is take, uh, make, makes, that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1290 days. Blessed is he who awaits and arrives at the 1335 days. So again, all these things both in Daniel, all the way through Daniel 8 through 12, it's mentioning the same things. You see what's going on here? It's all talking about the same thing. The daily is going to be taken away, whatever that is. We looked at that. The abomination that makes desolate is going to be put up. We looked at that as well. It all makes sense. And the people are going to be trampled underfoot, right? It's giving you constant pictures so that they layer over each other so you understand. I don't know if actually this may be a, an interesting metaphor or not, but I don't know if you've ever seen how cartoons are made. And it sounds, again, I'm not trying to compare scripture to cartoons, but the process of making cartoons, at least if I remember like the old school way, was very interesting. It's very much similar to how Bible prophecy is painted or pictured. You would make basically a slide with a particular image on it. And then you would make another slide with another image that would layer on top of that slide. And through these layers, you could make various, you know, depth perceptions and and basically one cartoon would go behind a tree or something else like that. I don't know if you've ever seen that process, but it's actually very interesting. And again, these days, everything's digital, but old school cartoons used to use like transparent slides. And this is exactly how Bible prophecy is created or, or dictated. It is, here's a picture. Now here's another picture that goes on top of that picture, but there's a, there's a connection between the two. They're both in the same picture but they're just different layers, if that makes sense. And so in this Daniel 12, if you actually go earlier, uh, he, you know, he talks about basically the, the, the same 1260-day time period. And then somebody, the man clothed in linen, asks, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And then in Daniel 7, 12, 12 verse 7, the man clothed in linen says it'll be for a time, times, and half a time, meaning 1260 days. But then Daniel says, oh, I heard, but I do not understand. Then I said, oh, Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? So he heard the time that's going to be 1260 days. He has no clue what does that mean. So he's asking again for clarity, like, okay, well, what's what's going to happen then as a, as a result? Like, give me some more information. And then what happens in verse 9? Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end, until the time of the end. Meaning it's not, it doesn't concern you today. It's going to be for a very future time. Many are going to purify themselves. That's in verse 10, meaning there's going to be a lot of martyrs and persecution. 
Just like the fifth seal in Revelation says, you know, the people under the altar who are given white robes, same imagery, same stuff. But then we have, like in verse 11, as the angel or perhaps even Jesus, you know, in, in this vision is giving Daniel more clarity, he gives him these other two time periods. He says, and from the regular burnt offerings taken away and from the abomination that makes desolate set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Well, wait a minute, didn't you say there were 1,260 days? We'll see how this works in just a second because there's a reasoning behind it. And blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1335 days. So all these things are being added to the 1260-day prophecy that was given in chapter, in, uh, chapter 12, verse 7, a few verses earlier. So what's the point? What, what is the conclusion? The conclusion is all of these prophecies are linked together. They're not separate. They're not talking about anything other than the same thing, which is the rise of an Antichrist system, which simultaneously happens to persecute the saints. It's making the, the sanctuary, which is the plan of salvation, desolate, meaning nobody goes into that plan because they're being blocked by something that has put itself between God and man. And we looked at all that. And it's, it's speaking great things against God. It's blaspheming, persecuting the saints. It's going to be a political power. All these different things. It's the same thing that it's all pointing to. God is giving us abundant information to know, hey, who is the real Antichrist power on the earth that you need to be watching for so that you aren't deceived into its counterfeit system that will change times and laws, which the Catholic system did, that will demand worship, which the Catholic system did. So the prophecy of the 2300 days contains the 1260, the 1290, and the 1335. Now, the reason for that, again, is because we saw that in the in Daniel 8, at the end of the, the first time that he got a time prophecy was what? 2,300 days. This is the thing. This is the big time period. That's the first thing that he received. What was Daniel's response to that? I have no clue what you're talking about. He got sick. He, he was bedridden. He was confused. He was just completely unsure of as would any of us would be at that time given the information that he had in his life as a second temple era jew or i should say even before the second temple was was built but the point is that daniel was very confused he didn't know what to make of it so then preceding daniel 8 you start to see more clarity you start to see more specific time periods now, keep that in mind, because that's how basically all of this comes together. In Daniel 9, how does Daniel 9 begin? Well, Daniel 9 begins like this, Daniel's prayer for his people. This is right after Daniel 8. The very, verse, the very last verse of Daniel 8 said what? That he was bedridden and confused and didn't understand anything of the vision. What's the very next thing that we see? Daniel 1, in the, very, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of the, his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. 
I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. So he's praying to God for forgiveness because what? He recognizes that the time is up. The prophecy is coming to an end. The whole Babylonian captivity is coming to an end. What's going on? Please, Lord, forgive us. Give us some guidance. Give us some clarity. What does God do at that point in time? He sends Gabriel. He sends Gabriel, and in verse 20, we see Gabriel brings an answer. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, what is this talking about? This is talking about the vision he received before that in Daniel 8 where he learned about the 2300 days. So now we have a linking detail. So Gabriel's not just appearing, he's coming back. Do you see the importance here? This is so significant. He first, he came in me swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. So God answered Daniel's prayers. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Now we have the 70 weeks. Very, very critical and why this is the key to the end times. Now in verse 24 of Daniel 9, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal both the vision and the prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. In the KJV, it says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Why is this so significant? Do you understand where I'm going with this? I hope you do. I really hope you do, because this is probably one of the most important details to connect these two books. Daniel was overwhelmed in Daniel 8. Then in Daniel 9, It begins with him praying to God, asking for mercy, asking for clarity. Then what happens? The prayer is answered. Gabriel returns to give him clarity on what? On the previous vision of the 2300 days. What is the first thing that is part of that 2300 day period? What's the first chunk in that time period? The first chunk is the 70 weeks prophecy which talks about the Messiah coming and putting an end to sin, which is what the Messiah did, fulfilling all righteousness. Only Jesus fulfills these things. Only Jesus confirmed the covenant with many, which is, again, this is not the Antichrist. That is, the, that is like the ultimate inversion because the devil's trying to hide the truth of what that prophecy is about. Dispensationalists believe that the covenant with many, the one who will confirm the covenant with many, That's going to be the Antichrist. No, it's not. It was Jesus because the 70 weeks was already fulfilled. The 70th week is not in the future. Nobody, there's no prophecy that does that. But again, that's besides the point. We have an in-depth study on this. The point is this. If you see the order of of events that happened, the 70 weeks is the first chunk of time. 
Now, if the 70 weeks, which is proven to be historically interpreted, even dispensationalists agree with this, then what does that mean? If the 70 weeks spans 490 years, and it's part, it's a smaller part of the 2300-day prophecy, that means the 2300-day prophecy is 2300 years. Do you see how why this is so significant? You can't say that a chunk is interpreted as 490 years out of a smaller chunk that's only 2300 days. Do you see the problem with that? I hope you do because this is this is the the main point. Because once you realize that all the time prophecies of Daniel are connected and then the 70 weeks prophecy is the one that unlocks how we interpret these prophecies and then you realize that John is picking up on all this. Then you see things completely differently. It's 1260 years in history, not 1260 literal days. 2300 years. And if that's the case, it's not talking about a physical earthly sanctuary being trodden underfoot. Because the sanctuary, meaning the temple, was destroyed in AD 70. That was only, you know, five, six hundred years, give or take, after Daniel's life. So it can't be talking about the physical temple being trodden underfoot. It's talking about the spiritual plan of salvation being trodden underfoot by the Antichrist power, which has been the papacy, and it will be coming back into power. So all of these things are connected. Very important. Very important. But again, we know that the 1260 time period is, is mentioned in Daniel. For the little horn, it's mentioned for the two witnesses. It's mentioned for the woman running away from the dragon. It's mentioned for the first beast. You put all these together, and what do you get? You get a comprehensive picture of, of a future power and what it's going to do. Because John also tells us about the very, very end, right before Christ returns. See, Daniel's vision was very, like, broad. Let's put it that way. He, he, his first vision was Daniel 2, and that's the vision of the statue and all these different empires, and then there's going to be a stone cut from no human hands and comes in and destroys this system. That's great. I mean, that pretty much outlines the order of empires, but it doesn't give us like detail as to who this power really is or how it's, how it's going to stay in power. You see the problem? Like Daniel was the, the, the foundation, the backbone of all these prophecies. And John comes in many hundreds of years later and fills in the colors, right? So going back to that cartoon metaphor, the Daniel prophecies are kind of like the background. And then John comes in and puts the color characters in and gives them depth. And we can see, oh, this is what's happening. Because John talks about the second beast helping the first beast come back to power. He talks about the final iteration being a woman riding the beast, which again, a woman is an apost it's in a church, but in this case, it's a prostitute. So it's an apostate church that sits on seven hills. There's only one church that matches that description. That's the Catholic church. Rome is the city of seven hills. And that system of a woman controlling a political system, a government, church-state system, Christian nationalism, just like it was for over 1260 years, really, that system is going to come back into power. The kings of the earth will give their power to that system before Christ returns. That's what is on the horizon. 
But you don't get to any of those conclusions if you are reading these prophecies as literal days. And this is this is the problem. So now, what about the 1290 and 1335? Because these are mentioned just once. And the first thing I want to say is that John does not have these prophecies in Revelation. They're mentioned just once in Daniel. So the point is, off the bat, they're not as important or prolific as the 1260 days. So the point is that they're adding and contouring to this 1260-day prophecy. This is the main one. So we, we don't be too dogmatic about it, but there are some things we can infer. First thing is, remember recapitulation. Recapitulation is used throughout the Bible. They are part of the 2300-year prophecy, and we, we showed that in Daniel 12. Daniel didn't understand, so he, he again wants clarity. He's always asking for clarity. And Gabriel gives him a more specific answer. So at first he says there's 1260 days, times, time, times, and, time, and half a time. That's a tough one to say, actually. And then, you know, Daniel's like, okay, well, I get the time period, but what's going to happen during this time? And then Gabriel says, don't worry, it's it's for the time of the end. It's seal it up, it's sealed for the time of the end. It doesn't concern you, basically. But here's what's going to happen. Here's a more another time prophecy. The tw- between the abomination being set up and I'm totally butchering the verses. Let me just go to it because I botched the verse. And he said, go that way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Uh, many shall purify themselves, and from the time that the daily is taken away, there it is, and the abomination that makes set up, there shall be 1290 days. So it's it's complementing this time that we've seen over and over again with 1260 days with, with another time period, which to us as modern American, you know, Western people seems like a contradiction, but it's not, and I'll explain it to you in a little bit, just we'll get to it here. But very first thing I want to say before we get into that is why preterism fails. Preterism, which believes that everything happens in the past, the Antichrist was probably Antiochus Epiphanes or Nero or whatever, and it was the temple being ransacked in the second century BC or maybe even 70 AD when it was destroyed. It cannot be that. We looked at that for several reasons. Preterism fails utterly in explaining these things because first and foremost, the 2300 days is 2300 years. We looked at that very clearly through the context of these chapters and how how Daniel's experience of these prophecies unfolded. 2300 days is 2300 years. That's number one. And another thing too is when Daniel had his vision of the ram and the goat, uh, and he's talking about basically there's Persia and there's Greece and Greece is going to come and, and basically take over Persia. Well, first off, Greece, if you are familiar with just even Alexander the Great, let's not talk about his four generals that happened after that, even though that's described in the vision. But let's forget the generals and how much how much time they ruled after Alexander the Great died. Alexander the Great alone, just himself, he conquered the known world in 10 years, which was lightning fast. That's why, again, the second beast that John saw, uh, or the, the beast that corresponds to Greece, I believe it's the, uh, the third beast, is the leopard with the wings. Now, a leopard is already a fast animal, and having wings is even faster, 
which corresponds to what happened with Alexander the Great. He conquered an enormous amount of territory in 10 years. But here's the point. Daniel saw Greece conquering Persia in Daniel 8, which is the ram and the goat vision. 10 years, if we just allot for Alexander the Great, 10 years time is longer than 2,300 days. Do you see the problem with this 2,300 days thing? So it just doesn't check out. Now, another reason it doesn't check out is because Antiochus Epiphanes, who was in the second century BC, he was in the past. Jesus and Paul both warn of the abomination of desolation as being a future event. That's in Scripture. We also know Antiochus did not uproot three kings before him, like the papacy did. And John also used the same time period of the 1260 days for the first beast. And the first beast has a false prophet. But Antiochus Epiphanes doesn't have a false prophet. So again, a lot of problems. And the same way can be, can be said about Nero or the Romans attacking Jerusalem in 70 AD. Again, there are some things that were warned about. Jesus did warn about the physical event that happened in 70 AD because there would be Christians in Jerusalem around that time. So he's warning believers. But his words always have multiple layers, multiple layers of meaning. And so his words also have a spiritual fulfillment. We looked at that as a physical before the spiritual principle where what's happening with Jerusalem or what happened, I should say, in 70 AD is a spiritual prophecy. It's a typology that is going to happen with God's people in the end times as this power you know, snakes its way around God's people and closes them and enforces the mark of the beast. We looked at that quite in detail. Now, we also looked at why futurism fails to explain this 2300-year prophecy. Because again, the days can't be literal. Same reason as above. Daniel 8, he was confused. Daniel 9, Gabriel came back to give him clarity and starts to give him these chunks of time. Boom, boom, boom. 490 years, 1260 years, 1335 years. All these different prophecies were tied and were giving him clarity over the next chapters, over the next three chapters, about what's going on with this whole time period. So it's all basically day to your principle. We looked at that. And John, of course, builds off of Daniel it's the same timeline. It's obvious that the 1260 days in John are the same. It's talking about the same thing that Daniel's talking about. It's just more colorful. So you can't say that they're different. And again, Mystery Babylon is a dead giveaway. The woman who's a church, in this case, the prostitutes, apostate church, sits on seven hills. And you look at where that's fulfilled in history, and there's no other choice. There's no other choice beyond many other things about how changing times and laws and doctrines and how the Pope was called our Lord God the Pope, how he sits enthroned between the cherubim and proclaims himself to be Holy Father, forgiving sins. I mean, this is the power that the prophets warned about. The power would be that would be a counterfeit. Not that it would persecute people like the Romans. They would persecute people for not worshiping it as the truth. See, I mean, it's just, it's profound, really, how if you look at history, these things are really very obvious. But again, the devil's job is to blind you from doing that, because then you would see the truth. Okay, so, what is the 1290-year prophecy talking about? Well, let's break this down a little better. I want you to compare Genesis 15, when God 
spoke to Abraham. And so this is verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. This is what we were talking about earlier with a very matter-of-fact prophecy. This is just an exact time prophecy. But I will bring judgment on the nation and that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So God is giving Abram a time prophecy. And what is the length of that time prophecy? It's 400 years. Exactly. But then in Exodus 12, verse 40 through 41, you have something very interesting. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So there's, this is an interesting thing because the first statement seems to contradict what God said. Similar to the way Gabriel seemed to contradict himself with 1290 years and 1260 years. But it's not a contradiction at all, actually. The second statement, Exodus 12, verse 41, is also very interesting because it says, at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So the scripture is very intent on telling you that it happened on that very day. It was to the day, 430 years, exactly. And why is that? Because, again, it's it's reaffirming that this was by intent. This is intentional. It's not just a, a slip-up of narration or somebody put in a detail. Oops, they put in the wrong number. It's very intently 430 years so that you know that God intended to do that. Meaning, if we know that God doesn't contradict himself, then there's something more to the story. And this is the point. So, this is something to consider. Just like at the Gospels have various accounts of things, like we talked about with Jesus' robe. How in one Gospel, it's like this crimson or reddish robe, and on another Gospel, it mentions like a purplish robe. But purple degrades to crimson. It, it looks worn out. It's hard to tell what it is. It's just two different testimonies of the same thing, which was a degraded, worn-out robe. And so the question is, Is are these things talking about the same thing, but from different perspectives of understanding? They're not contradicting, they're complementing each other. And this is very important, because this happens a few times in the Bible, at least. Now, it says sojourning, when it says sojourning, it talks about this journey in Egypt. Now, the sojourning actually began 30 years prior to the Jews being enslaved, the Hebrews being enslaved. To Egypt. But that sojourning of Abraham in Egypt wasn't counted in the prophecy that God gave Abram in the beginning, because God was talking about the actual enslavement of the Hebrews. But it was being counted in Exodus 12, verse 40 through 41. Again, this is kind of like a physical before the spiritual concept, and I'll, I'll break it down. In Genesis 12, verse 4, Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. Let's look at that. So Abraham, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So he was 75 when he departed from Haran. Now in Genesis 21, verse 5, this is now several chapters later, Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born. 
Verse 5, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. So that means that 25 years had passed since Genesis 12 when he departed Haran. He got that vision from God. And then Isaac was born, you know, 25 years later. So very important to keep track of these time periods. Genesis 21 verse 8, a couple verses later, And the child grew and was weaned. Very important detail. And Abraham made a great feast on that day when Isaac was weaned. Very important detail. The Bible didn't have to mention that, but it does so that you understand these time prophecies. Because weaning usually in ancient cultures happened around five years old. This was generally accepted as archaeological evidence and tradition for ancient Near East. Around five years old, you would get weaned. The Bible notes that as an important event that happened, so much so that Abraham rejoiced and it's recorded down. So let's put it all together. Abraham was in Egypt for 25 years because he left Haran when he was 75. He was sojourning in Egypt for 25 years. He had Isaac. Isaac was weaned for five years. And then pretty much the 400-year prophecy, right, began at that time. So 430 years total is being counted by Exodus, whereas 400 years, when God told Abram, was referring to the actual slavery part. So Exodus, when it's reporting that the people of Israel were in Egypt for 430 years, it's counting Abraham's sojourning before Isaac was born and into Isaac's birth, if that makes sense. It's reporting that as part of the entire journey. God's prophecy to Abraham was concerning the enslavement of Israel, that they would basically be you know, working for Egyptians for 400 years before the exodus would happen. So there are two things reporting two different pictures, but they're complementary pictures. And this is so important to understand because some people have related the 430-year time period to 1290 because if you multiply 430 times 3, you get 1290. Now, again, I'm not the type that put my eggs in this basket with, with numerology and all this stuff, but it is interesting because typologically this number does fit, and it's associated to slavery in Egypt. So it could represent God's people being basically enslaved by this system, which they were. The Catholic institution ruled with an iron fist, demanded worship, and it enslaved people to its false doctrines, and still does today, but in a different way. Now, the same event was referred to by two different standards, so we can apply that to history. 1290 years and 1260 years is referring to the same event, same time period, just from two different perspectives. And we're going to see how that's counted differently. Again, it's referring to the same thing, but it's looking from two different perspectives. And it's just extra detail that Gabriel is giving Daniel. And again, these prophecies of 1290 and the 1335, they aren't echoed in John, so they're not ultra crucial. Gabriel is just giving extra detail, just like Exodus gives a little extra detail when it's talking about the time that the Jews spent, uh, the Hebrews spent in Egypt. So it's the same principle. Now, before we go into that, I want to look at the 1335 years really quick. The physical fulfillment of that as literal days did happen in 8066 
when the Romans surrounded Jerusalem. We talked about this. They basically surrounded Jerusalem. They were going to attack, but then they, for some reason, they went away. The Jewish zealots chased them. They killed a few Roman soldiers. The Romans got super mad, and they came back with a lot more forces and destroyed Jerusalem uh, in August of AD 70, so which was about uh, you know 1,290 days difference. 45 days after that, or 1335 days total between AD 66 and AD 70, you, you basically had them surround and burn the temple to the ground. So these things literally are fulfilled in Israel. But again, we see that they are also connected to this exact time prophecy of the 70 weeks, so they have a double fulfillment. If you can understand that, then the Bible prophecy in both Daniel and Revelation will open up considerably more. Because again, the devil's job is to keep you focused on just that physical, worldly interpretation. And again, there are ways to see that. Again, that these things happened to Jerusalem because that was a major event, and there were Christians in Jerusalem. So these things were important to tell people so that they could be saved, they could avoid such conflict. And again, that's why God has given us such rich history and prophecy so that we, just like Israel or just like Jerusalem was warned before it was destroyed, so that we understand who the real Antichrist power is, what they're going to do, how they're going to surround, what are they going to want, and so on. It's not about Israel. It's about something much bigger than that. So with these things out of the way, what do we get uh, as a conclusion? Well, those who listened to Jesus in Matthew 24 and took his advice, they were blessed, weren't they? They were blessed with life because they got out of Jerusalem. So that's why it says, blessed is he who makes it to the 13 and 35 days, who waiteth. Now, of course, if we know that these are years, it doesn't apply to a human being to wait that long because you can't wait 13, 35 years. That's why I said you can't be dogmatic about it. 1335 years ends in 1843, which if we look at the timeline of the things we've looked at in the past with the seals, the trumpets, the churches, around the 1840s is when all those things clicked with the uh, sixth seal and the sixth trumpet, the, the sixth church ended around that time. All these things kind of happened around that time. So what would be the spiritual interpretation that blessed is he who makes it to the 1335 days. Well, if blessed is he who makes it to the final age, the, the age where all these things are being fulfilled and you can see God's glory being un, you know unraveled and basically the scroll being opened. You're looking at you know, the final section of history where all these things will be fulfilled. You are blessed. We are living in that time. We are truly blessed. So that is fulfilled spiritually as well. So, don't be dogmatic about it. You know, Adventists have a whole theology around 1844 and 1843. We're going to this is the last episode. We're going to look at this next week, why this is so wrong and it's it's just contrary to the gospel. It's incorrect theology, it's incorrect hermeneutics for so many reasons. But ultimately, you know, there are many theories on this. Don't be dogmatic. It has a it has a physical fulfillment and a spiritual fulfillment. But 1335 is not mentioned in John. It's not something we need to be obsessing about. Neither is 1290. However, let's look at this and put it all together. And again, look at the end times timeline because it's going to give you 
a much clearer picture of this. But the first 490 years of this 2300-day prophecy, which again, remember, is 2300 years, you had about the Messiah. In 457 BC, when the decree to restore Jerusalem was issued, that's when the prophecy started. 483 years later, in 27 AD, Jesus' ministry begins. We looked at all timestamps for all these. Again, Daniel 70 weeks, go check it out. 31 AD, that's three and a half days later, prophetic days, halfway through the week. What happens? The Messiah is cut off. He's crucified. Then three and a half more days, prophetic days later, towards the end of the final week in 34 AD, what do you have? Well, first off, the week's end, the 70 weeks prophecy ends, the time allotted for the Jewish people comes to an end because Stephen was stoned. The gospel goes out to the Gentiles. Peter gets his vision. Saul gets converted. And now the time of the Gentiles is upon us. Everybody's invited to the gospel. The Jews don't have a special role to fulfill anymore. And the gospel is for the whole world. And that completed the 70 weeks prophecy by exactly the date from 457 BC to AD 34 is exactly 490 years. So very fascinating how all that basically works out. But the point is that that proves to us that we should be interpreting these things from day to year principle. Then you have this 1290 years and 1260 years. Now we talked about how the 1260 years is related to the period of time when the papacy was made official by Justinian's decree, giving the Pope power basically as the sovereign over the church and over politics. He was basically the, you know, God and God on earth, basically at that point, a false God, but another way from 538 AD, when that decree was issued to, to 1798, when the Pope was arrested and the papacy was declared to be at an end, the papacy ruled with an iron fist for 1260 years. That's exactly fulfilled in history. Now we know that prior to 538, there was building this mystery of iniquity. And something very important happened 30 years prior to 538 AD, which is in 508 AD. And we looked at that as well, which was basically Clovis, who was king of the Franks. Uh, he converted to Christianity and he sets up a union of church and state. Ever since Constantine, all the Roman Empire emperors and nation states, all these kings started to do the same thing and initiate church and state unions and create, you know, various policies and make it easier for ultimately the Pope to come to power. And again, remember the Pope plucked up three kings before he came to power. And that we looked at that through the history of the Roman Empire, the Heruli, the Ostrogoths, and the Vandals. They were three kings, three nation states that were basically removed for the Pope to come in, into full power. All this was happening from about... 476 AD, I mean, really since Constantine, but 508 AD, 30 years prior, is when Clovis started to create this momentum of church-state union with a leader at the top of that. Of course, it all started with Constantine, but Clovis had a lot of decrees and things we looked at that were very significant to the result of having the Pope being the ruler. And that was officially made in 538 AD. So, what do, we, what do we take from this? Well, in 508 AD, if the timeline starts there, 
of the abomination that makes desolate and the daily is taken away, then that's 1,290 years. Do you see how that works? 508 to 1798 is 1,290 years. If you count Clovis's efforts at beginning this reform and basically setting the stage for the Pope to take power, that's when the daily was really starting to be taken away and the abomination was set up. What's the abomination? The abomination is the institutionalization and counterfeiting of Christianity into a physical system when it's supposed to be a spiritual system with a spiritual king. Now you have a counterfeit of that. So that began 30 years prior, just like how, in one sense, God prophesied the prophecy of enslavement, which is, what, 400 years? That's the the core chunk of time. But then when reflecting back on the time in general, Exodus reports it as 430 years. In the same way, Daniel and John focus very much on the core chunk of time, which is 1260 years. That is fulfilled, absolutely fulfilled by the papacy in history. But then you have other times that kind of, again, paint a little more contour, which 1290 years says, which is that 508 AD is when Clovis came to power. He started doing all these reforms, church-state union, decrees, you know, how the church should be, who should be in power, what, what priests should do, all these things we looked at in great detail and how they affected the rise of the abomination of desolation, the Pope, the taking away of basically the ministry, the gospel of Jesus, and blocking people from entering into the sanctuary, which is a representation of the plan of salvation. But moving on, in 1843 which was just 45 years later, after 1798, when the Pope was arrested and all that stuff happened, that's when the 1335 period comes to an end. And 1844 is a year later when the 2300-year period as a whole comes to an end. All of these things are basically listed on the time and times prophetic timeline. You can see how they all fit and how they are basically chunked within each other. But during the 1290 years and the 1260 year time frame, what happened? Well, we know what happened. True believers were scattered. They were persecuted, but they were also protected. The two witnesses, which stood for the word of God, they were trampled on and killed. The Bible was burned, banned, translated into Latin with all kinds of nonsense. The sanctuary, which represents the gospel, the plan of salvation, was made desolate by the Catholic Church. We looked at all that. The little horn power ruled, which is the first beast in John. And it, it did all the things it did, change times and laws, trample over the saints, all these different things. And so the 1290 period is counting it the same way that Exodus is counting. It's counting a period of time before the core period that is also relevant, but not relevant enough for us to focus on it over and over again because it's only mentioned once. Do you see the point? So there's nothing really, again, to be dogmatic about it, but it does check out because the official time that all this action happened was 508. A lot of the things that Clovis, which is interesting because Clovis, king of the Franks, notice how the French are on both sides of this whole time period. They kind of started it in 508 AD, and then they kind of ended it in 1798, when Napoleon, who was French, basically had the Pope arrested. So it's very interesting how 
all that kind of works out again, just shows you that there's a infinite intelligence behind all of this. But what's the point? The blessed is he that makes it past this time of darkness where the papacy is ruling with an iron fist and there's, again, the fourth church, the fourth seal. What is What do those things represent? Darkness, death, the dark ages, where nobody was even allowed to read the Bible. You couldn't even, you know, print the Bible, God forbid. I mean, the, the reformers who did that were executed. William Tyndale and all these people that were basically standing for the right to have a Bible and to be, you know, have a relationship with Christ personally, they were martyred. And so the, the things that we get to do today, we are very blessed. Blessed is he who makes it to these final times, that you're in a, in a time of history where you have access to the Word of God, that you can study it without being persecuted, that you can learn the truth, that you can have all the history and information at your fingertips, literally. It's, a, it's an astounding time to be alive. And so we are indeed blessed, and that prophecy is fulfilled. But again, also during the 1840s, you had the sixth church that ended. You had the seal, the sixth seal that was opened. Remember, there's a couple things that happened in the sixth seal. You had a 1755 earthquake. Then you had the day of darkness in 1780. And then the final thing was the, um, the meteor shower, the greatest meteor shower in history that was prophesied. That happened in 1833. And then the sixth trumpet ended in 1840 with the Oriental Crisis, where basically the Ottoman Empire fulfilled its 391 period of time. And again, all this stuff, if, if you, this is new to you, if it's a little overwhelming, don't worry about it. I'm just listing it off. But in 1840, that period of time that the Ottoman Empire had left to it to, to work its judgment ended. It was a period of 391 years, and we saw that. Again, it, it all checks out exactly. So all these things happened in the 1840s. And so to say that this prophecy ends in 1843 and also 1844 and trying to figure out what happened at that time, what happened, oh, it's the sanctuary. Again, the Seventh-day Adventist take on this is wrong, and I will look at that next episode. We'll look at that in depth because if you are a Seventh-day Adventist, you're being deceived by the investigative judgment. You're being deceived about what people have told you about 1843 and 1844. There are some things the Adventists get right, but ultimately... These prophecies of 1335, even the 2300-year prophecy, they're only mentioned once. Same with 1290. The thing that is really standing out is the 1260. That's the important one to understand. So this is what we can conclude. All these things are related. They're fulfilled historically, very clearly so. Don't worry so much about 1335 and 1290. Even the 2300, just understand they're all related. They're all pointing to the same thing. The, the point is to understand who is the Antichrist power, because that's what the Bible's warning you about, and what's it going to do. And of course, we have signs that we are in the end of the end times. When we plot all of these historically, which is what the devil doesn't want you to do, we realize that we are in the end of the end times. Now, we know from Matthew 24, the Christ said many things, signs of the end of the age. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, so that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. 
Very important set of verses. So are these things fulfilled in history? And the answer is yes. If we simply look at Wikipedia, list of people claiming to be Jesus throughout history, has that has the rate of that increased? If you look at the rate of that, for example, in the 17th century, not too many. Rise Evans. Then the 18th century, you had like two people. 19th century, you had, you know, quite a few more. Five or six. 20th century, now we're, now we're really ramping it up. Look at this. There's probably like 20 people, at least, I didn't count them, but about 20 people claiming to be false, to be Messiah. Now, 21st century, boy, if you've done any study on this, you realize just how deluded people are. All these people claiming to be Jesus Christ. Literally, Jesus, they're claiming to be like reincarnated version of Jesus or whatever other false beliefs they had. But the what's the point? The rate of people claiming to be Christ has increased. So that's a sign that is basically being fulfilled in this day and age. Christ also said wars. Now, this is a list of wars from 1800 to 1899. I think we're all familiar with, um, you know, the 20th century and all the wars that happened in the 20th century. More blood was shed in the two world wars than in all the wars of history. So, but even if you look just from 1800 to 1899, you look at the frequency and it just... It gets gets higher and higher. There's more and more wars, more bloodshed, and it just gets crazier and crazier. And we also know a list of famines. Again, you have a famine all the way from 2000 BC. And if you look at the list of famine famines, if I can get that word right, as you go through history, there's more and more famines. Why? Because there's more people and there's more power being given to this antichrist system and is ruling and causing issues. Where do you think these famines come from? God gave us a world of plenty. The reason there's famines is because they are controlled. They're controlled operations. And of course, these are part of the antichrist power ruling. Antichrist power is still in control. It's not obvious yet. We talked about that, but it will be. And that's the point right before Christ returns. It will be obvious. But look at a list of pestilences, epidemics, and pandemics. Now, that word has become a buzzword now, but ever since the Black Death, you know, you have Spanish flu, uh, Plague of Justinian, all these different, of course, these are organized by how many people they killed. But in the last, you know, thousand years, you've had more and more plagues and pestilences than probably more so than in the past. And so... All these things are very important. A list of earthquakes. This is from USGS. Why are we having so many earthquakes? Has naturally occurring earthquake activity been increasing? Does this mean a big one is going to hit? Or we haven't had any earthquakes in a long time. Does this mean that the pressure is building up for a big one? A temporary increase or decrease in seismic activity is part of the normal fluctuation of earthquake rates. Neither an increase nor a decrease worldwide is a positive indication that a large earthquake is imminent. Of course, they're trying to sweep under the rug what the Bible tells you is always a sign from God. And of course, they're going to say the the Comcat earthquake catalog contains an increasing number of earthquakes in recent years. But don't fret, not because there are more earthquakes, but because there are more seismic instruments and they are able to record more earthquakes, of course. Of course, just like with climate change, and again, I'm not going to, I'm going to resist the temptation to diverge here, but the weather 
and earthquakes and signs in the sky, all supernatural or even natural events, are always a sign from God. In the Bible, God claims authorship and sovereignty over the weather. Very clearly so. So when we see things that are happening in the weather, in the ground, in the sky, these are signs from God. Absolutely. Don't listen to this snake talk to convince you otherwise. But what is the point? The point is that we are in the beginning of sorrows. These things have been fulfilling and are being fulfilled. The signs that Christ said that we are in the end times are very true and real. Now, there's other signs too. In Daniel 12, verse 4, it says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. The book is sealed until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Okay, that's fulfilled in our generation. But if you look in Revelation 10, verse 2, the angel and the little scroll. Verse 2, he had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the, on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. What is in his hand? An open scroll. He had a little scroll open in his hand. Do you see the parallel? John builds off of, of um, Daniel. In Daniel, he was given a huge picture, huge picture of all the rest of history. But the angel told him, the book is sealed. Seal it up. It's not time yet. What happens in Revelation? John says, the book is opened. We are now in the end times, which again, we've been in the end times since the cross. That's very clearly so. But we are in the end of the end times, if that makes any sense. We're in the, the final bit of history here, which all of these things point to. The seventh church, we're between the sixth and seventh seals, we're between the sixth and seventh trumpets. We, you know, all these time prophecies point to the fact that the, the power has come and gone and it's coming back. The wound was healed in 1929. We talked about that with the latter impact. And now the papacy is coming back to power through a Christian nationalist system that will start in the United States. Again, if all this sounds crazy to you, go back and watch some previous episodes. But we know that this time is the millennial kingdom. It's the time that Christ is ruling from heaven while his enemies are being put under his feet. It's the great tribulation. The great tribulation is not seven years. Christians have been in tribulation since the cross because Satan has been bound He's, his power has been taken away. Does that mean he's stopped from persecuting Christians? No, quite the opposite. The fact that he was kicked out of heaven in Revelation 12 made him very upset and vengeful because he knew his time was running short. And so he's been on hyper mode, persecuting, destroying, counterfeiting in these last times. And we know that. I mean, look, for example, also to consider around 1840. Remember, the, the time period ended around 1843, 1335, and then 1844 for the 2300-year prophecy. So what happened during that time? Well, that also coincides with Satan being released in that time. What happened in that time? Evolution. Latter-day Saints. Karl Marx met Engels in 1844. They started communism. Ouija boards were made very popular. That was in the 1860s. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, 1881. Seventh-day Adventism, 1863. Now look, there's a lot of things the Seventh-day Adventists get right, but there's some that they get very wrong that are very contrary to the gospel. And we have to look at some of the people who started Adventism and see what do they believe? Like Ellen White, we're going to look at that next episode. 
So I highly encourage you to watch it and and to join me in that episode if you are a Seventh-day Adventist because there are some very wrong things about what she believed. But anyway, moving on, you had Helena Blavatsky who created Theosophy, basically Satanism. Theodore Herzl, Zionism, all these things were in the late 19th century. Dispensationalism, also in the 19th century. Humanism, Atheism, the Enlightenment, the Jesuits doing their learning against learning. The Big Bang Theory was created by a Jesuit. NASA, Hollywood, the New Age movement, hyper-charismatic movement in Christianity, the prosperity gospel, the progressive Christians we have today, toxics, uh, toxic pollution that we have in our food, the pharmaceutical industry, our health being uh, attacked since the Flexner Report in the 1900s, if you know anything about that. Social media, AI, gene editing, transhumanism, crypto, digital currency, social credit systems. I mean, you could go on and on. It's just crazy to really survey everything that's happened in the last, you know, 200 years, 150 years or so. But this is the age we live in. This is the final age of the final period of time in history. The final period of time began after the cross. And we are in that final period of the final period. We're in the generation of the Lord's return. I believe that. So we also know that one more thing, one more little detail I want to include is that the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm not setting any dates, but Jesus said he will return in two days. And that's really interesting in the context of what Peter says, I believe, that a day with the Lord is a thousand years. Now, again, I'm not using this as a foundational piece of evidence. I'm really not. But it's just an interesting detail that he said he'll return in two days. If a day with the Lord is a thousand years, of course, that's poetic. It's designed to mean that God is timeless. But let's just entertain the fact that maybe a day with the Lord is a thousand years, literally. And the parable is a good Samaritan. He returns back to the inn to check on the um, on the, the person he healed and he helped heal in two days. That's 2,000 years. Well, when did Christ get crucified? 31 AD. We're coming up on that 2,000-year mark. Now, does that mean Christ will return in 2031? I don't know. But again, look at the writing on the wall. Look at the writing on the wall. Look at all these different things that I just listed off. If you believe that the earth is going to be around another 50 years, another 100 years, another 150 years at this rate, I don't think you're being honest with yourself. I don't think you're, you've considered enough the weight of the momentum that we're moving towards a one-world religion, a one-world system, a one-world currency that can enforce the things that the Bible says. We are at the point in time, like no other point in time in history, where if there was a power that had a worldwide religion, it could enforce worship economically if it wanted to, because of the technology that we have. With blockchain, with crypto, with AI, with social credit systems, it's coming, and it's already in the works. I've talked about it in many other episodes, but it's already in the works. This is proof that we are in the the generation that we will see these things. So, final thoughts. The time prophecies in Daniel and Revelation are all related. That's the thing to take away from today. Very much important thing. If you do not interpret these prophecies, especially in John, in relationship to 
Daniel, and if you don't interpret the the prophecies in Daniel in relation to the 70 weeks, then you're going to get all kinds of crazy ideas about what they mean. Daniel 70 weeks unlocks everything else. The true Antichrist power on the earth is the papacy. We have plenty of evidence of that. Over and over again, of hours and hours of documented evidence with history, historical records of what the papacy did and said, how it fulfilled Bible prophecy, current events. I mean, you really have to deny history. You have to deny your own logic and sense when presented with so much evidence to say that, well, no, it can't be that. This is the system that the prophets warned us about. And we are living in the final hour where we will see Mystery Babylon, which is a union of church and state, a woman riding the beast, where the kings of the earth will give their power to this system. Because the second beast, which is the United States, acting like a false prophet, will build an image to the beast. An image is a representation of what? An image of the first beast, meaning it will build a representation, a copy of the first government that existed, which is a Christian nationalist government. That system is going to happen in the United States. And it's going to be exported to the rest of the world. Everybody's going to think we're in the golden age. Christian nationalist values are back and we've got the you know, we've got Christianity back in culture. This is extremely dangerous because what's going to happen is you will have a Christian nationalist system throughout the world of Christian na- nations, nation states, and they're all going to be ruled by the Pope just as it was for 1260 years and more actually. If you study the Roman Empire and all the nation states in Europe, it's the same system. What do you think? Like the Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9. What was will be again. There's nothing new under the sun. And it's true. So if you understand history, then when it repeats, you will not be deceived, nor will you be surprised. So keep your eyes peeled. If you are a Seventh-day Adventist, then please join me for the next episode so that you will learn the truth and drop your investigative judgment, drop your false prophet, because they are leading you astray and learn the truth, which is there are different explanations for 1843 and 1844 that are completely rational. And again, they're not something to be dogmatic about because those time periods are only mentioned once. The real time period that we need to focus on is the 1260 years because that identifies without a shadow of a doubt who the enemy is. And if you know who the enemy is, you know who to watch and what they're up to. And we've done that in previous episodes. So I hope this has been edifying to you. I know it's a little heady with some of these times and dates and different things, but that's why I've created that end times prophetic timeline for you to go check out. You can visually see all these prophecies uh, aligned with one another, and it's just going to make it so much simpler. I know it did for me. When I was studying all these things, um, I said, you know, if I put this in a visual way, it's just going to help me see these. And when I did that, I realized just how clear and concise and beautiful and organized God's Word is. It takes some study, but once you see it all together, it's, it's just so simple and profound. And so I want you to have that experience as well, so go check it out. But either way, I hope you've had a good, good session of learning about a lot of things. I know these things can be a little bit long. Stay tuned for next time. We're going to finish up this end time series. If this is the first time you've checked in, go to those previous episodes. Go watch them. There's so much wealth of information that I've put together, both scripture and history and all those different episodes. So you really understand the truth 
of the end times. I don't expect anybody to know the whole truth. I don't know the whole truth. But we've certainly documented enough of the truth so that you aren't deceived like most people are deceived. So we'll see you next time. And until then, God bless. God bless.